Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Greg, how you doing, bud? We are live on location. It's good to see you. We're here. We're live. We're uh, hanging out together, sipping some brews, looking at some watches, hanging out. Life is good. Yeah, yeah. Tell the people, where are we? Ogopogo Brewing in San Gabriel, California, which is sort of a... We've been here once before, live on set. Actually, I don't know if you recall, was we did, we did. A, a mini-sode, which was like sort of a trailer for the big the f- F1... Uh, episode that you did with whiskey and watches that's right yeah so just uh, probably a little over a year ago year and a half ago as the prelude to the 2022 f1 season so yeah this is san gabriel valley this is um, kind of the heart of it you get some ambient sounds here we've got uh, there's people talking we got a big fan nearby Uh, we got some good music overhead which is cool and this place is known for having some really very good, unusual beers, a lot of pastry sours and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it's funny. We so we each ordered a flight separately. Matt yep. got here just a few a few a few minutes before me and was setting up. And uh, the bartender, the the guy pouring the the beers, chuckled because he's like, "You guys basically just ordered the same flight with like one or two one or two substitutions." Sorry about that. Just inadvertently paused us here. We're we're working basically straight into a uh, a different, basically a different uh, uh, sound capturing medium than we're used to online. So, basically, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, the keyboard is extremely sensitive. But I paused this. Sorry about that. But yeah, we we ordered. We got uh, each of us got a hazy from this place. Each of us got a pastry sour. Each of us got a like a tropical sour as well. And, uh, and we each got a cider, but we varied on the cider. You yeah. Got, you got a rosé cider, and I got a wine barrel aged cider. So let's do this, man. Let's just go right into kind of the pour check. Each of us have four things. Why don't you pick one, and I'll pick one. That way we don't run down like eight things. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, what do you got? I'm going to check out, I'm going to go with this wine barrel aged cider. Am I a huge cider guy? Ooh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, so this is seven point two percent. So that's a that's a hefty cider, in my opinion. It's uh, it's pretty dark, probably from the wine barrel age, right? And um, it's actually got a you know maybe it's just it's got a nice tin like a nice uh, a nice sour note to it, which is actually quite interesting. This is really good. It is. It is. So and for me, what I'm gonna pick here is the uh, the Buris. This is a pastry sour that they do. This has got a really nice kind of a, almost actually very similar in color to the rosé cider. A little bit of a kind of a pink clear color. And it's basically a sweet yeast. Definitely, it actually tastes like you're drinking like a, uh, almost like a cherry Danish in a glass, like, you know, in, in booze form. So yeah. yeah. I love it. They have, we love the pastry sours here. We are both commenting on that. And uh, and uh, it, it, they have a really interesting lineup. Cool can art, fun names. They actually, a lot of, I, what are the origin of some of the names in terms of like linguistics? Do you know? Because they have, they have like phonetic spell, uh, like pronunciations next to them. Because some of them are, if you didn't, if you weren't familiar with it, you'd be a little hard pressed probably. Right. I think the, the shtick here is most of the beers are named after some kind of like fictional monster or a, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, things that go bump in the night, you know, so there's, you know, uh, okay, so basically people in Southern California, right, where there's a, a large Hispanic culture here, and uh, I think everybody would know what the Yorona is, Yeah. right, yeah, the, the crying woman, the lady in white, right, yeah. and this is a, the, the, the tale you tell your kids to be good at night, you know, because yeah. Yorona is going to get you. 
this is the uh, the lady that basically killed her children, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of thing. There's a uh, something that's kind of like the Loch Ness monster. Uh, there, and it's all taken largely from you know Latin American and kind of Central European uh, fairy tales, folk tales. It's pretty cool. That's yeah. actually a neat, like, it's a kind of a neat uh, angle, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something you see anywhere else. And this place is very good and reasonably well distributed in Southern California. Again, yeah. Ogopogo out of San Gabriel Valley. Super friendly, super friendly people too. Yep. Very accommodating. We dig it. We like their beers and they're fun to be around. Yeah, yeah. So let's do a quick wrist check, man. What do you have on the wrist? Ooh. Um, Although you just took it off. I did. And I'll, what I, maybe what I'll actually wrist check is what I was wearing earlier before I actually walked in because I don't want to give away our... Our topic quite yet. Yeah. Though, I guess if you probably clicked on the podcast, you probably titled it. Yeah. People will figure it out. But uh, for the sake of uh, drawing this out, I have on um, a Seiko Kinetic Titanium 100. I don't know the reference number. I don't know actually officially what it's called. But this is essentially the first mechanical watch that I probably remember owning. I've had it for 22 years now. And uh, it's awesome. I think we're gonna get into this later. Why I brought it back out of the box again in the last couple years, but I just was sort of reinvigorated by it. It's just a fun old watch. It's uh, it's titanium. It's got this sort of you know gold bezel ring that's sort of like an inlay, um, sort of like a three-layer case, I guess. Yeah. Um, and this sort of like scalped bezel that reveals the the gold kind of chapter ring underneath of that. Gold markers, gold handset, and uh, a la a Matt McD special, it just is having so much fun on a green NATO, not a sage NATO, but a green NATO with gold hardware. Yeah, it's definitely a darker green than I wear, but the uh, the gold hardware is very reminiscent of a couple that I have. I think it looks fantastic. Actually, I really want one of those watches. I think we should find a way to get you one. Um, they, I can't imagine they're expensive, and I'm Maybe just the harder part is just finding one in decent condition. Because I mean, I wore this every day probably for I don't even know five, seven years at least. Yeah. And it probably sat in the box for a long ass time after that. But uh, you know, it's one of those old kinetics. You gotta give it the old shako to get things going. It doesn't wind. Um, yeah. And uh, but it's got an exhibition case back, which was like the raddest thing in the world. At I the don't time. think I've seen that on this. All right, let's see this. You know, I think it's something like a four or a six jewel movement. You know, but I mean, it's it's it, that's that's what got you into things, right? It's. Uh, it's what it's what started, you know, making your mind race about what are these little these little mechanical things on your wrist that can actually keep time. Dude, this is phenomenal. I need to have one of these. I need. <laughs> I guess you've never seen the the case back. I haven't. I no. haven't. And you know, what do you think this is? Is this uh, thirty-eight millimeter? Thirty-seven? Uh, I'm gonna say thirty-seven, maybe even pushing thirty-six. It's got eighteen mil lugs. So my guess is it's definitely trending a little bit on the on the shorter side of stuff. But yeah, that's a it's just a fun thing. Yeah, well, I, I like this piece a lot, man. It's very, very in my, like, aesthetic wheelhouse. I have and to say, too, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but there's been a huge neo-vintage push on, like, media lately, and I love it. Here yeah. for it. You know, yeah. It's something we've been talking about. We, we've appreciated it for quite some time. Well, it's funny. I noticed that, um, I would say, over the past maybe three or four weeks, it seems like, you know, I've heard people talking about this on a variety of outlets and it seems like this is something that we've talked about for over a year so very cool very love cool. to see it yep what's on your wrist my friend all right dude so i uh i have a new watch alert this is i think some people will probably know about this already but this uh this is the zen 103 diapal this is the titanium diapal version they make it in steel as well the titanium i think is the one to get because it doesn't have screw down pushers but this is basically kind of a, a do-everything tool watch. 200 meters water is resistant, um, you know, so you can definitely take it anywhere, do anything in it. It's got a phenomenal 60-minute bezel with, you know, fantastic bezel action. And this is essentially a time and date chronograph with a second time zone rendered in that 12-hour format that Zinn does with the basically the uh, skeletonized syringe hand. So it kind of matches the hour hand in terms of size and shape. So you can you can hide it if you want, or you can run it as a second time zone, which is what I do. I think what probably most people would do. 
And then the whole thing again is, uh, it's just, like I said, I think, you know, in a post recently, in terms of the Zen technology, this thing is full send. It's got the, you know, the uh, noble gas inside. So the, the entire thing is basically filled with an inert gas to help kind of keep moisture and oxygen out of it. It's got the copper sulfate capsule, uh, Viton gaskets, the works. So this thing is bitching. It's just <laughs> super cool. It's something I've been pining for for probably at least five years. It's probably the, the watch that I've wanted the longest and have not acted on. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So How rewarding, right? Yeah, it, it, absolutely it is. And it's funny. We were talking about this kind of before we hit the record button. But back, I think it was maybe episode 28 for us. So, I mean, a ways back. We did a, you know, the, the old one watch question, but asked two ways. And my one watch that I settled on, it was basically a tie for first between the Omega Seamaster uh, GMT, like the kind of the sword hands, Peter Blake lookalike, or this watch, the 103. And I called this as being sort of my, my number one, you know, if I could only have one, this would probably be it. And now I have it, so I'm stoked. Delivered straight from the motherland. Yeah, yeah. With uh, we probably shouldn't talk about that too much, but you know, um, yeah, this is uh, very, very cool to have this here. So anyway, that's what's on the wrist, man. So what do you think? We, uh, we we're here basically midday. We got people around us. You know, we don't want to fart around too much. You want to get right into the, the main topic. And we got tag teamed uh, by the uh, by the, the the podcast alliance. And, uh, How about this? We got tagged in. We got tagged in. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's better. I heard it. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, if I understood correctly, sort of the, the basically the, the genesis is the, the doppelganger episode, right? Uh, watches in your collection that if they were not in your collection, what would have replaced, what would you replace them with, or what would what would be the, the, the analog to the watch that you were taking out of the collection or replacing, right, or, or something along those lines? Right, so our friends at, uh, at Wrist Cheese did this, our friends at Whiskey and Watches have done this, and now we're doing this. Essentially, just to recap, if you haven't heard those shows, the, the premise here is you have watches in your watch box that collect, or what was sort of looking for, um, that occupy a certain you know, kind of space mentally. Check you know, a certain box. Exactly, or... that's probably the way to put it. They check your GMT box, your dress watch box, your your dive watch beater, your nice, your dress diver, what have you. If you removed the piece that you have in that slot, what would go in there instead to check the same box? Or what did you cross shop for before you settled on the piece that you actually have? That kind of thing. And we've decided, you know, it's, there's not really any, you know, significant uh, financial constraints here, you know, within reason, um, you know, nothing that's more expensive than your house, but, you know, you can definitely go up or down in price. And what we did is a little bit of a riff is I know what you have in your collection pretty much. And I called out three watches for you and you in turn called out three watches for me. So these are, my watches are not watches that I picked. To talk about but watches that you picked for me to talk about and vice versa right that's exactly right so we got some fun stuff i think to go through um it'd be interesting to see how we both you know played the game you know and I, like you said i think uh the other the other guys you know some of them took some liberties to sort of go up market or, or stay within market too so yeah, yeah i'm curious to see it was fun i thought too to pick the other three the other three watches for the person. So that was, uh, I thought, a wrinkle I thought I appreciated by you tossing out there, sort of like, hey, these are the three I'm selecting from your box, you figure it out, you yep. select three from my box. Exactly, exactly. So let, let's kick these things off then, what do you say? For sure, man, do you want to, how about I introduce the first watch of yours that okay. I picked? Got it. Okay, so the first thing that I picked was the one of the watches that I think of as most quintessential Greg and it's been sort of on our feed and on the website a little bit more recently because of the uh, basically the uh, bracelets that we've had in for review from Forstner and that is your Omega Railmaster 39 millimeter with a printed dial I, I absolutely love this watch I think it's a perfect watch for you and 
I want to say I saw this. I think it was on the the feed for Bond's apartment. Remember, this is um, Luke Taggart. He contributed to our Bond cocktail uh, episode. Yep. I think he had a, a watch spotting photo with, um, is it Killian Murphy? Yes, it is. Yeah. And he had like a, a basically a slightly smaller version of that watch, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, that is the watch I picked for you. Take it away. Yeah. No, that's a funny way to put it too. You're right. It's gotten a little bit of shine. So this is, this is, um, this is not the most recent Railmaster for folks who are sort of maybe not up to speed or not thinking about which one it could be. Um, this is sort of the, again, we're back to sort of mid-2000s, right? Early, early mid-2000s. Um, this is the 2503.52. Uh, um, and uh, it has been getting some shine lately because, of, yeah, he, Sil- Killian Murphy wore the 36-millimeter version, I guess, on some sort of Oppenheimer red carpet or something. Yeah. And it was on, like, Time and Tide, and then it got picked up, and people were... It was pretty cool because it's such a... It's a... I wouldn't say... It's just an obscure watch. It's not anything out of you know too crazy or you know even that hard or rare to find. It's just um, just obscure. It's sort of like you know this weird random back catalog back catalog Omega from sort of the early coax uh, days when it's basically like a heavily modified you know movement. It's not the full you know master coaxes that you would find now. So it's like the very some of the early movement uh, modifications where they're adding the uh, the coaxial escapement. So um, and then ironically, it's on a Forstner band right now. Uh, the bullet style bracelet and so this watch this was the second watch I, if I think about where I was you know quote unquote like really getting into watches the other one is the first one that we'll talk about later maybe and this was supposed to be the second watch though and done it was supposed to be like yeah you got the first one that you you know was your sort of grail and then this was supposed to be like sort of a, an alternative and sort of casual and, and this was supposed to be the there was supposed to be a one-two combo right <laughs> and here we are <laughs> several years later and the watch box is, uh, continues to get filled and expanded um, cross shopping this this was and it's become much so much more than than what I thought it would be this was is gonna be a very simple story the 1016 uh, replacement this was the 1016 doppelganger sure to me uh, just you know Real, I mean, as so many people already did, but this was probably maybe six or seven years ago. It was just lusting after 1016. It was not. It was not going to happen. You know, I had. It just wasn't in the cards, and uh, so started doing the old alternative search. And I don't. I sh- I'm sure I had to be inspired by somebody somewhere. I don't really recall anybody in particular having this watch. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember seeing this anywhere. In, in like in pop culture. You know, or, or having it be tied to like a, a person, the way you know, like the Bond watch is, yeah. or whatever. I don't. I mean, I'm sh- obviously several, many people have owned the watch, but I just don't re- recall seeing it even on Instagram and being like, "Oh, wow, that's really cool." I just don't know how I stumbled onto it. I probably, honestly, this is gonna sound really lame, but I probably was googling Rolex Explorer alternatives, and it probably actually, you know what? I should back up. Mike Stockton wrote a really nice article. Shout out to Mike again, who was just on the Whiskey and Watches on yep. that episode of the Double Game. He wrote a really nice article on Omega Railmaster, this particular reference, a long time ago. And so I'm sure I somehow got Googled into some very random, you know, reports or reviews on the watch, and it just started to grow on me. And so if you pulled this one out of my collection and asked me to replace it, the answer is simple, it's quick, it's easy, it's a Rolex Explorer 1016, because that's what inspired this. Uh, but in fact, as I alluded to earlier, it has grown to be to be much more than a 1016 replacement to me, or sort of alternative. And it just is what it is. It's its own thing, and I quite love it. And I feel like people who like the Railmaster, this one in particular, kind of actually sort of prefer it to an explorer of most generations anyway. I think it's visually, it's a lot more interesting. I um, I don't know if it's heresy to say this, but I do not care for the Explorer in pretty much any of its... That's a relatively hot take. I, yeah, it's just, to me, it's just kind I'd say of, it's a lukewarm take. It's, it's a boring watch. <laughs> That's a hot take. I like that. It's, you know, and not to not to say that it's in any way bad or, like, if you it's have one of you. these and like it, yeah, it's just one of these... Because um, it's, objectively, it's a great watch. Yes. But it's, to me, I would get sick of it so quick because there's just not enough, like, about it that's interesting. This, on the other hand, is is ideal. 
You know, I think if I could change anything about that watch, like every watch nerd, I'd probably shrink it one or two millimeters, but that's about it. But I think to me, the, the other thing that I like about this is it's, especially on a strap, but I like it so much on this bullet bracelet from Forstner. But I would love to see like this compared to like a 39 millimeter, like an IWC Flieger. That would be to me like the next sort of thing. It's thin, it's kind of svelte, but it's got some nice curves to it. Um, extremely legible. You know, Extreme, the, the most legible watch I own. Yeah, sure. it's it's just a, a super cool watch. I, I think it's got one of the best handsets in the game. Like, like yeah. full send again. Like I, I really do. Like I put it. I mean, maybe not from a polishing perspective, but like in terms of character and the handset, I love it. I think it's my favorite yeah. handset around. I think another thing conceivably that could go up against that would be they don't have a a current day version of this, but in the '90s and early 2000s, a lot of the um, the 41 millimeter Seamaster references from Omega had like a 36.5 analog. So that they, and what they just describe as a midsize, and it would look visually very similar, but they would just, you know, describe it as a midsize watch. I bet one of those midsize, like Peter Blake's, would scratch a really similar itch. You got some of the wedge indices, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know? Um, I will say, I don't think. I, I think, I, well, I did realize there was a 36 millimeter version when I bought this. And ironically, the guy who I bought it from, um, I, I keep in contact with, he was downsizing. He sold me the 39 because he picked up the 36. There you go. Which was ironic. And it didn't make sense to me at the time. Now, if I was, if I was repurchasing it, I probably would go 36. Although I believe the lugs are maybe 19. So, but that doesn't matter these days. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was a consideration. So maybe I would have downsized it. Um, but at the same, by the same token, I, I like having some 36s and 39s and 40s. I mean, there's a nice. Not a, maybe not everything has to be 36. Even if this maybe is its finest form in 36, I like having diversity across. Yeah, no, it's all good. That's a good one, dude. Well, so we got to move into your first one, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. You pick. Call me out. Let's see. We'll go first on what I sent to you too, because I also sent you a, a, a list of, of three. Um, the reason I picked this one is because it's one of my favorites in your collection, quite frankly. Um, and the, where you can take this is probably a million ways, a million directions. And it does tie back into the Rich Cheese folks, because I, I think they also touched on this one. Um, so it'll be another spin on a familiar um, but excellent watch. This is your Grand Seiko Seasons Spring Edition, Shunbun. Is that correct? Yeah, Shunbun. Um, if I pluck that one out, and you had to replace that spot in the box. I'm curious what you would do. Okay, so this is an easy one for me. So again, this is the um, the Grand Seiko SBGA413, Shunbun, sometimes called the, like the Sakura. And essentially this is the pink dial, uh, everything you want from Grand Seiko, you know, in terms of the spring drive. It's got the, uh, the power reserve on the dial, amazing handset, all of this. This was my second Grand Seiko, and I remember very specifically what I cross-shopped it against, um, and it's, it's really easy for me because I could probably drop one of those. There's one that I definitely would not pick, but there's one that I think that I would. Um, I cross-shopped this against the Snowflake, first and foremost. Um, you know, titanium. It's kind of the thing that put them on the map for a lot of people years ago. Amazing dial, but it's just a little too big, a little too much going on in terms of the size for that case. This one, on the other hand, is downsized a bit. Um, I don't know exactly what they call it, but this is about a 39, 39.5, something like that. It's the odd, you know, uh, 21 millimeter lug spacing, but it wears very well. But I cross shop this against a reference that you do not see very often and this would be like very much what I would consider going back for and it's the SBGR 311 this is a mechanical and this oh, is this is, is, this the, is, is that the the the, um, the whirlpool it is it's I think the, most the people one. most people have seen that whirlpool style that's, dial that's, with the tiny tiny little GS logo like that fans out this is that dial treatment 
but instead of in the kind of the peacock coloration that they do or that really beautiful like blue gold that they do this is like a copper brown and this is why i got the um, the sharp edge GMT in the color that I got. That's why. This is exactly oh, I why. I did not realize. That. So this is a, this sort of brown gold copper color that they have is kind of tr of a traditional thing in Japanese culture, and it's you, you know there's all it, the Grand Seiko people I think are, are fans are almost kind of tired of it now. There's all these different references and stories to you know how it ties back into nature or some phenomenon that's observable you know in Japan or what have you, but. Um, you know, for me, it always struck me as being like uh, inspired by mountains, you know, terrain, the earth, basically. And this watch was phenomenal. I ended up not going for it. It's steel. It's a little bit of a plain bracelet. And, you know, that's always a weak spot, I think, for Grand Seiko in general. So when the seasons came out, I immediately knew, okay, that's going to be it for me. Something unusual. I'm going to go for the pink dial. The other thing I cross shop this against was, it, and it's very obvious, is it's Stablemate, which is the winter version. Gray, gray. kind of a, a gray-blue seconds hand. That one, that for me was probably even more visually striking than the pink. Oh, really? But I wanted the pink because it would just be such a departure from the rest of my collection, I and eventually was. I might give this to one of my daughters. And so that was kind of a considered move, and that's what I think would would take the place of this. And if that ever departs your box, I hope it ends up in my watch box. I love that watch. Hey, I'll call you. I'll call you. I mean, as uh, as Ellie at one of the, is it one of the uh, sales guys at Feldmar, he sort of always jokes around. He's like, everything's for sale, man. Sale. The watch on my wrist is for sale. I love that you called out that that particular Grand Seiko, the uh, the let's just call it the brown whirlpool, right? Copper yep. whirlpool. Yep. Uh, that's an amazing watch. That's a super cool watch. I love the, the blue, the, the traditional, what you would think of when you think of the whirlpool. Yep. Um, we know a few people close by that have them. Um, they're amazing. They shot up in value. Oh yeah. They are very expensive right now. Probably will be for some time, I imagine. I think this one continues to sort of stay under the radar slightly. My guess is this is probably the one that is made in the, in the smallest numbers, and it, it but it just doesn't attract the eye. I've never seen one. Yeah, I've in, never seen in one in real either. life. I mean, I've seen I've one. Never in even the seen one I've, I've never, never even seen, seen one posted by like a wild. friend or like somebody I even know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to say it's Alan's gear is like our our local guy. Shout out Alan. I think Alan has like the uh, that kind of blue gold whirlpool. Uh, Ike has one. Okay, nice. Uh, Curtis has one, I think, too. Okay. But yeah, I've never seen anybody with the copper. Yeah. So that, that to me, would probably be my first choice to replace this Love one. that one. That's cool. That's yep. a really neat, uh, considered, and actually factually based in what you, how you cross yeah. shop. Yeah, no, for sure. It's great. All right, well, let's go to your next one that I called out for you. And this is, I think this started out as like your halo piece. I mean, and maybe in terms of value, kind of still is, but it's... Uh, it's an amazing watch. It's something that I probably, if I could steal anything from your watch box, this would be it. And it is your Rolex GMT Master II 16710. This is the LN, the original, basically, you know, uh, five-digit black uh, bezel insert. It's, it's, you know, kind of the plain Jane, not Pepsi, not Coke, and just very... Um, it's like the most stoic of the GMT Masters. I love this watch. It is, you're right. Um, sometimes, you know, I was just joking with, maybe with Tom, Expedition 16610, I was joking, he's like, you need to throw a Pepsi bezel in that every once in a while for the Magnum PI 5 challenge. Dude, you, know? you could do it. I could. I told him I was I told him I was a weenie, though, because I was afraid to pop out my bezel. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I'll do, and I'm afraid to pop out the bezel. I don't know. Yeah, that's Inserts, not... Bezel insert. Given, right, that's something that, you know, five to ten years ago, I probably would have done it, and now I'm like, oh, no. You yeah. Know, I, I have, you know, a, I don't want to <laughs> ding anything um, unnecessarily, which is so weird because the whole idea is, you know, these watches, especially the five-digit, you wear them, you get them scratched, and if you if you got a scratch, like, organically, just out and about doing stuff, you probably wouldn't care. It's all good. Badge of honor. Add to the character, yeah. But if, yeah, if you ding your bezel by yourself, like, to take a picture of it, <laughs> like, I would I would shoot myself. That does actually, yeah, that's a little face palm, face yeah. palm action. Yep. Uh, yeah, man, so... You're right, this was the, so when I was referencing the Railmaster, this was the one 
to the two rail master this supposed to be the one two combo when i did you're right when i got this i worked everywhere to everything doing anything and everything traveling you know in the water on planes literally everything and, and since then i've become a little more precious with it but i still wear it i mean pretty pretty great regularity I yeah just maybe don't i maybe just don't wear it out and about outside of my regular routine like I used to but other than that it still gets the same amount of probably the amount of wrist time I guess but uh, this is an interesting one so if we pulled this one out and I had to replace it um, I am going to kind of go off the reservation a little bit and, and I'll give you the, again the backstory on this I did not cross shop this watch this was the watch and uh, gosh who was talking about this Maybe the Whiskey and Watches team and, and Mike were talking about this. Um, when I want something, I'll cross shop it a little bit, but I kind of, when, I, when I've already landed on something, I've pretty well landed on it. Right. And it's never like, oh, what's the, uh, you know, what's the, what's the, the cross shop, uh, you know, for money? For, it, 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 I, I've cross shopped it and I've, I've honed it on something and that's basically the end of the story. But at one point, I thought about collecting a set of, GMT watches um, that I might sort of then pass down the line later on and I was entertaining this for a while and I sort of went away from it I went a different direction with the sort of heirloom stuff um, which we can talk about some other time probably Yeah. and I'm glad that I did because I like the way it turned out but this was sort of the, the genesis of maybe a GMT collection that would sort of get passed down yeah and so the next one that I was thinking about, and I was pretty hot and heavy on it, and I actually I sort of regret not picking it up because I still think it would just be a great watch anyway, even if I went a different direction with what I was, why I was getting it. So I'm looking at the IWC Pilot's Watch UTC Spitfire. Yep. Um, if I'm correct on the reference, this would be like reference 3251. Um, this is, again, like another mid-2000s, early to mid-2000s IWC reference. This is the, um, it's basically like a silver and white, uh, kind of like a sector dial in some ways, where there's the, 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 there's like some brushing on the dial that gives it like a sector dial-esque look. Yeah, you know what, I, I don't know what the term for this is, but it's almost, it's got a, a bit of a pie pan vibe to it, where there, it's like right. a, a step dial. That's right. Similar to, you know, what you'd see, other, other companies do it too, but it's basically a large format version of what you'd see with the old Omega Speedmasters. That's right. So, you know, the, the center portion of the dial is essentially looks like a flat surface, and the outer, maybe third of the perimeter, looks like it's sloped down slightly, and that's where the, like, the Arabic numerals reside on this thing. I love this watch. I know it very well. I've never owned one, but I, I lusted over those for a long time, and the black dial equivalent, which is the, the, just known as the TZC, the Time Zone Corrector. That's right. Um, and I, I always thought this looked too busy, this mm -hmm. one, the Spitfire. But as time has gone by, I'm like, nah, you know what? The other one is too plain. This, this is great. And they, they have resurrected this design. Did they? Yes. I don't even know if I realized that. Yeah. Uh, about two or three years ago, um, you know, so IWC has kind of modernized a lot of their lineup. I think that the pilots' watches in general is a huge strength for them. And, you know, they're bringing things down slightly in size. They're kind of just tightening up everything and getting a lot more, I think, enthusiast-focused. I really, IWC was one of the brands that I first started geeking out about. You were big. You, you loved IWC. Yeah, I've got, several. I've got the big book and the whole deal. Autographed by Christian Granger here. Thank you if you're, you're listening. I'm sure you're not. Um, <laughs> but the, um, this, I think this is such a fun way to do a second time zone. It, it's really, really cool. I'm actually sort of regretting this uh, this topic now, this episode, because now I kind of want this watch again. <laughs> I had put this out of my mind for some time. Dude, I think they do this now. If I, I want to say they do it with a green dial. Ugh. It looks... And IWC green dials are very, very Yeah, they're cool. super, super cool. So, again, not to belabor like an, an audio format, but there's a there's an aperture window, sort of a... a a, a, a curved aperture window that runs from like let's say five to seven. Yeah, and five, that's your, five to seven o'clock. Five o'clock to seven o'clock, and that's your 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 second time zone indicator. And it's sort of like a like a flight instrument where it has several numbers indicated. And you, see, you can see the fourteen, the fifteen, and the sixteen. Yep. Although it skips numbers, I think it goes by twos. Anyway, 
So you get the, you get your second time zone indicator in this aperture. Yeah. And uh, it's just sharp. It's a 39 millimeter case. I mean, what more do you want? That's great. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic thing. It works. Essentially, it's like an, a fast moving date wheel, but instead of one through 31, right, it is, I'm sure it's basically, I don't know if they do it one through 24 or zero through 24 or how they, how they have question. it graduated. You know, but as you say, it's um, it's even numbers with dots in between, and you know every hour. I'd also don't know if it's jumping or not. I don't think it is. I, think, I don't I, know. Either. I think it moves kind of in a, a kind of a, a like soft a linear progression, yeah. right? But uh, I think that's a really fantastic watch. If I had to cross shop that for you, I was going to go in a completely different direction, and I would say I would pick for you a watch that I had before and that Summer now owns and Chase owns one of these two and that is the Zen 356 UTC 39 millimeter chronograph again very spelt it's kind of thick but it wears its thickness well that it's kind of af athletic but it's again a really elegant um, you know 12 hour second time zone super cool watch and I think it's a good analog to this because the bracelet is that steel brushed H link bracelet that they do and that one, I believe, does not have a diver's extension, so it doesn't have that. And it's just, it's a, it's a great watch. The way you wear watches, I don't know that you need a bezel the way I do with my OCD. And you can just, yeah, that, that would be super cool. But that's a great choice. I like it. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm already instantly regretting this episode because now this is firmly planted back in my brain, and I had I had let go of it about three. Or, actually, I probably let go of this idea about four years ago. So well, you know, now it's now it's back. <laughs> now it's back. Just more expensive now. So, what do you think? What should what do you want to pick as my my next go? All right. So this is a this is one that I'm interested in. What where, where you're going to go with this? Because we talked a lot about this watch recently. Why it where it sits in your collection in your in your in in how often you're wearing it, why you're wearing it, what other watches are similar and adjacent to it. This is a modern classic by all by all account measures. Um, I've borrowed this on, on occasion. I love this watch, um, but I know that you have ideas about it and I'm curious what this would be now, where your headspace is. This is the, the Tudor Black Bay 58. Perfect, yeah, so like you with the GMT Master, I did not cross shop this for anything um, and I th I'm assuming you're kind of your the, the veiled illusion there about me having thoughts about it is I've, I've thought about getting rid of it um, if this is an objectively great watch but I don't wear it that often and it's one of these things that I got thinking I it would occupy a, a much bigger kind of spot in my imagination than it does I think ultimately one of the reasons that I got this was because um, I wanted something that wore similar to my, uh, a, like a five-digit GMT, but that would give me an experience of, you know, basically a, a Submariner. And it does do that objectively, like on paper, on wrists. It's, it's very similar in terms of how it feels, but there's my issue with this watch, you know, kind of for me is there just doesn't seem like there's a lot of like cork there's not it's not quirky it's like it's too good there's you know what i mean it, it wears perfectly there's i think it's strange about it, it looks beautiful okay. it's got it's got a phenomenal it's got the best bezel basically of any watch i have there's you know it's it's sort of tangentially part of the crown right you know it's a it's a, a good watch and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Because there's nothing wrong with it, there's just not that much interesting about it. <laughs> and, you know, I so I enjoy wearing it. I make myself wear it from time to time where I'm like, no, you gotta take it out. You gotta give it some time. Like I said, I didn't cross shop this with anything, but I think if I was going to, if this thing was just gonna disappear and I was gonna replace it with something, I, the obvious choice would be the thing that it's supposed to be a stand-in for, which is a modern Submariner. But I don't think so. I think I would go uh, Omega Seamaster. It's, you know, something not quite as well-sized, the Seamaster. The bezel is probably not quite as perfectly clickety-clickety-clickety. Um, you know, it's Omega, not you know, Rolex Tudor, but I personally, I think Omega is, modern Omega is basically more interesting than modern Rolex. 
But yeah, I think I probably would do something like a, uh, you know, this is basically a gilt dial. The, it's the, you know, black gilt dial reference, the basic, you know, uh, Black Bay 58. I think I probably would go Sedna and Steel, you know, uh, uh, Seamaster 300M or just the 300 Heritage and kind of that wouldn't, you know, kind of pick up the same sort of visual warmth that you get with the gilt dial on the Black Bay. But, you know, maybe a little bit more up level of a wearing experience and something that's just quirky enough and unusual enough that you don't see very often. It might be a little bit more satisfying for me now. So that's, that's what I would replace it with. That would be the doppelganger. And, and for me, I probably would pick between those two watches based on what I could get first at the better deal. Well, I'll tell you what, this is when you know you have a problem. When something is absolutely nails what it's supposed to do and it's just not quirky enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I'm looking at you and every, so, you know, so Greg good. is wearing this watch right now and it looks so good on you. And that's, I think, the thing too with a lot of watches, right? Once yeah. you have something on your wrist for a while, it starts looking good on everybody else's wrist. Yeah. And it looks different in your mind on your wrist. Even though, honestly, it probably looks to you identical on my wrist as it does to me on yours. This, but, is, this is a great watch. Um, I'm going to be on record. I'm anti-team rivet. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't care for the rivet either. I don't hate it. But, but yeah. I will, I, again, I will concede when it's on your wrist, it basically disappears visually for your, right. own, for your own wearing and visual experience. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It's, once it's on, I don't really see it. You have to, you have to like really focus to, to kind of notice it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you know what this is, in my opinion, especially for like a new person getting into watches, or if you, we, we, got, we actually know a few of these people, these one watch people that exist out there. This is like a one watch. These people are freaks. Of, well, they they are. They maybe they have problem. No no no. They're actually they're 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 normal. Uh, this is a one watch for people. This is a one watch. This this does it all. Uh, but all that being said, and understanding what I know about your collection and you, I actually understand what you're saying, and I get it. Um, yeah, I was legit disappointed when you said you wanted me to bring that one because I was like, it's like, it's 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 boring. It's kind of like it's standing at the door, like its static line is hooked up. I'm getting ready to push it out. Well, I'm glad because I, I wanted you, I wanted to I wanted you to feel something. Yeah, well, I, I feel some kind of way about it, and I don't. But the thing is, it's one of those where it's kind of like. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Not at and all. so it's like, I don't know, do I get rid of it? Do I trade it? You know, or do I keep it? Because it's, when I put it on, I'm like, that's a good watch. It just, it, it just doesn't thrill me yeah. the way I thought it would. Well, anyway. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people, people in watches, they grow apart. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what are you going to do? <laughs> this is the way of things, dude. So... That's the second one of mine. Let's do the third one of yours. This is like, you know, basically I think this is probably the quirkiest, least expensive thing you have. Speaking and, of quirky. And it's very interesting and very, I think, on brand for Spirit of Time and the Agave Spirits thing. This is your, this is, you know, correct me if I get this wrong, this is the, um, the Mr. Jones, the last laugh. It's basically like the, the jumping hour skull motif very, um, you know, Dio de los Muertos, right? And uh, it's a shiny black case, just visually very interesting. What would you replace that with? I, I picked that as a challenge for you because I'm like, that's that's like a singularity in the watch world. You know, it, when, when you did put that on the list, I was actually, again, I had a little bit of like an actual reaction like you did when I put the Black Bay on. I, yeah, you picked put the the Rail Master and the GMT Master on. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I actually have a, a an easy way to work through this math or these gymnastics. When you put that on the list, I was just like, oh, oh, oh okay, I'm gonna have to really think about this for a moment. Um, but I actually got to a place where I realized why I've got this, and and then it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the Mr. Jones Last Laugh. This is the tattoo edition. Um, so that's like, like you said, it's sort of uh, you know sugar skull artwork. There's another version that's just called the Last Laugh that has more of like a a traditional skull, almost like a misfits yeah. know, kind of skull look with like a gold, like white, white black, and a little bit of gold. It's pretty stark. 
So this one is like the, the more colorful edition. Um, I'm gonna go off the reservation on this one. And actually the reason why I sort of got this is because I had at some point doing some doom scrolling come across, you remember those HYT skull watches? They're pretty wild. Um, I mean, HYT in general, right, is, is obviously a pretty wild watch brand. Yeah. Um, and so I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Who the hell would put a crazy skull on a watch like this? That looks like one of the um, the more recent like Star Wars villains. Oh, or something. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what you know the character is, but like the animated Clone Wars villain, like yes, uh, definitely less uh, you know Calaveras, you know, sort of Dia de los Muertos look, and really just like sort of like this modern skull guy. But you know, the the, the HYT watches are just fascinating in their own right, right, with this sort of you know pressurized. Yeah, you know, liquid gas oil thing or whatever that signifies the you know part of the time telling. Just wild watches. Also, probably wildly unwearable for somebody like me who has probably like a six and three quarters inch wrist. Probably could never in my life actually wear this thing, but it just started occupying a space in my mind. I'm like this is super cool, and so knew I wasn't gonna buy it for a whole, whole, all those reasons and, and price tags, and but just sort of like the idea of sort of this fun whimsical kind of watch and stumbled on Mr. Jones. This was, God, when was this? This is a while back. This is probably five or probably five years ago. Yeah. They were, I could tell they had a, like a following, but it seemed to be more of like folks who were maybe in the fashion watch state. No, that's not, that's not the way, fair way to say it. I would not call them watch enthusiasts. I would not call them watch nerds. Um, people who maybe bought a watch for the aesthetics, but maybe weren't so concerned about what was inside. Yeah. Right? They might not even be concerned about what time it is. I could barely tell the time on this thing. Yeah, exactly. Actually, all their watches are very, the point of them actually is really not time-telling. I'd say they're really art pieces in some regard. Yeah, exactly. And so, I've never seen anybody else with them, and and so, and the price is really reasonable. They're like sub $200, I think, maybe. I don't know what they are these days. Maybe $250. And uh, and so, got this one. I thought it was super cool. It fit a lot of what we were talking about, and... um, I love it. It's a phenomenal piece. I think that the coolest thing is how, it, you know what, let's just take a quick pause right here so we can handle this real fast, folks. Just give us two seconds. Okay, sorry about that. We're back. We had to take a pint break and then also kind of, we're we're here with Greg's little guy. He's being a really good boy. but. Even the best boys need the occasional potty break, right? So, myself included. Yes, yes, may just. So we were talking about the Mr. Jones, the um, uh, last laugh tattoo edition. That's it. Thank you. I want to say it's basically that that representation of the Calavera skull. And you were saying HYT would be like what you would. Clearly, this is a money no object substitution because that HYT skull watch is about eighty Gs. And it's also probably like 47 years or something insanely ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, People talk about the the 750 or 7750 wobble, you know, with the the Valjoux movement. Yeah. What would that thing feel like on wrist with the little pumps and would like sit there like vibrations? It feels like a little time bomb on your wrist or what? I have no idea. I've never seen one in the wild. Um, I would love to just see. I have no idea. I literally have no clue. It's one of those things where it's just like... I don't even know. I don't even know what else is out there. <laughs> I can't relate. But that would be a cool. So that would be your substitution. That would be the substitution. And and just a quick shout out to Mr. Jones. I think they've been on fire lately. Like I feel like more people in the watch enthusiast space have been like dialed into it, which is great. They make cool, fun stuff for almost anybody. So yeah, it's awesome to see them continue to grow. Well, dude, if if eighty thousand is a bit of a departure. Then the watch that I would suggest is even further at about four hundred and sixty thousand. And really, why not? Why not? So I don't. The, I don't like the HYT as much because it looks like this this kind of sterile like machine thing. I would want to get back into the vibe of the actual watch that you have. And for that, I would suggest the Louis Vuitton Tambour Carpe Diem. Right. This is that sort of the. Uh, I think it's like, a, you know, an autonom- automaton gold, you know, the snake is kind of coming through the skull. It, it just looks gnarly. And it does. It's, it's like, you know, the, the, 
a heavy metal, like 80s, uh, you know, on the Jumbotron, this would be the image you would see. This feels very Guns N' Roses to me. Yes. Very appetite of destruction. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I could see Slash with this watch, for sure, for sure. Um, but again, you know, at, it's $460,000. So, it's Monopoly money. Yeah, it's just what's what's four hundred and sixty grand among friends. I would take that over at Jacob & Co., you know. I would too, roulette, actually. Roulette table or something, you I, know? I, people laughed at this in some respects, but to me, this is absolutely the coolest thing. I need to go look at videos of this thing now, too, because so, the, the stills are really something, but I want to see, see video. Basically, yeah, this the tip of this thing's tail moves and indicates you know, time this way, and you've got like the, the hourglass, you know, motif there. It looks cool. The whole idea is, right, memento mori. Remember that you are mortal. Um, this would be, I think this would be a, a good, like, you got buzzed, hashtag buzzed kind of thing. <laughs> but I think back in, in the classical world, in ancient Rome, when, when Rome was in Byzantium kind of thing, the big, you know, conquering heroes, the generals, when they'd be feted, they'd be basically paraded around you know the city or around a uh, uh, like the, the equivalent to like the Colosseum and everybody'd be throwing flowers and there's music and there's so much adulation and they literally would have somebody with that person like on the on the cart or the whatever that they're you know pulling them around on that would be whispering in their ear remember you are mortal um, which is, I think, that how my guess is that's how that whole memento mori thing gets going. I don't know, just random buzz. That's for you. I don't know Hashtag if that's true or not. You got buzzed. I don't know if that's true, but it might be. Um, Fact check us. Please. Yeah. So that is your third. I have one more. Do you want to kind of call this one out? I do. Um, this is, I, you know, you'll tell the story, but this is long-standing piece in the collection. It will never depart. But I sort of know the origin story. I know. Kind of where you ended up on this one and what you were thinking about elsewhere. I don't know if that's where you're going to take this doppelganger, but I thought this was an interesting conversation, just given why this, why you have this watch and what it means to you, and and also it it is the one that sort of re-inspired me to dig out this this Seiko Kinetic Titanium, this two two-tone titanium gold guy, um, and especially to put it on sort of the signature Matt McDee, you know, sage green with gold hardware NATO. So this is your this is your Tag Heuer professional yep. 200. It's a 4000. 4000. Yeah, that this is basically a mid to late 90s design. That was the upscale one of all the of the, I think 2 3 and 4, right? I think there might have been I think it was 2 4 and god, I don't know. I want to say there's maybe even a 6, but something like yeah, but this would basically be like the the next level up from the most basic, but it was not like the link but the link on it does to me does not stand the test of time the way this one does because the you know you can't really put that link on anything except the link bracelet or the the OEM strap like and, the Ayrton Senna version and we love 90s and 2000s and neo vintage but I'm going to just be I have to be honest I do not love that look well the bracelets are kind of schlocky they also don't hold up very well and the um, basically the, the the guts of these things you know the pins and whatnot don't stand up so they kind of once they start sort of breaking that's it yeah they're they're done but this is the the tag Heuer professional 4000 the steel and gold you know the stories you kind of alluded to i think and that is that there is a um what's the word i'm looking for a uh, uh another watch that i definitely cross shopped and that was quite literally yeah that was the, the omega 2254 Many, many hours spent looking in the display case and trying on the watches. And the reason I ended up going with the Tag Heuer, younger people won't remember this, but in, in the 90s, Tag Heuer was every bit on, on the scene as much as Rolex and Omega. And I just, as a young married, like literally kind of mid-20s guy, I, I couldn't spring for the extra two or 300 bucks MSRP for the Omega. I just couldn't justify it at that time. But I would not... Even though that's the watch I cross-shopped it, if the doppelganger for this watch for me would not be the Omega, but would actually be, and I don't have the reference number in front of me, but everybody knows visually what I'm talking about when I say this, it would be one of the early two-tone steel and gold Breitling Aerospace 
that was the other thing that when when I was a young guy, that was that was the quote unquote important watch um, for you know somebody in the aviation world. Then that's kind of where I grew up. That would be the thing to have, and that probably would be what I would use to occupy the same spot, like in the watch box now. So, if this were to somehow just disappear and I could miracle something else in its place, you know, I think something that's kind of of the same sort of aesthetic and the same level of importance, it would have to be that Breitling Aerospace from you know maybe circa like 1992, 93, 94. I saw those watches. I used to work in the airline world. And I, I was essentially a, a loadmaster dispatcher type for FedEx. My pilots, the crews would come into the office. I'd be preparing their weight and balance, doing everything for them, getting them set up, and looking at the watches on their wrist. And I saw a lot of Breitling, uh, a lot of Rolex, a lot of Citizen Nighthawk. But I, if I saw one watch more than anything else, it was probably that Breitling Aerospace. And the steel and gold in particular back then was so hot. That would be what I would pick, I think. Yeah, I love it. That's uh, that's like a quite, quite literally a, a trip down you know map memory lane. Oh, it totally is. It totally is. <laughs> and it's they're they're very similar, like in terms of how they would wear. You know, in terms of size and profile. This one, this watch, this Tag Heuer is quite thin. It, you know, it's it's very trim. No, it's great. Um, I, I really do think you're. I keep joking about it, but I really do think you're sort of a at the forefront of sort of sage green NATOs and I also think you're on the forefront of gold hardware on NATOs I really do I don't see a lot of them out there and the, but the minute you put it on something and I put it on it looks awesome yeah it, it goes very well with this kind of watch you know and it's very playful obviously it's not you know real gold hardware but it's just uh, it just makes it fun and it, it matches everything perfectly I think this watch is extremely thin plating I, I don't know if you know PVD technology existed, you know, nearly 30 years ago, but probably so. The handset has held up exceptionally well. Usually they're knackered. I, I don't know why, but my handset still looks basically new. And uh, yeah, I think. How many it, times has that thing been serviced? Twice. Twice. Yeah. Full like full full boat service two times. Yeah. Um, it was a daily for me from like 1998 to about 2006. Eight, seven. Eight, yeah, nine yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it got it got serviced around that time, like 2006 or seven. I added a Breitling. The Breitling became kind of more my regular. Um, this was serviced again, maybe 2017. You know, so about another 10 years. And it's it's worn regularly in the rotation. It's not it's not a daily anymore. But taking it off of the the OEM bracelet. Actually, I had to. It, it liked the link, the the internal hardware. You know, the little pins holding this thing together. They're not super high quality, and eventually something corroded. It broke, and you know, then you have to source what the exact same part. Good luck. Yeah. So I, t I just took the thing off. I started wearing it on straps, and then eventually, you know, which is to say on leather straps. Eventually, I put it on, and once I found that sage green NATO, the the you know, hashtag sage NATO. Um, yeah, it's, it's perfect for this. And that color on this watch is what caused me to branch it out to like everything else. I have my Black Dial Seamaster on the Sage NATO. Uh, you know, I've got, it, I've got the Grand Seiko Shunbun on a Sage NATO. I could probably do that with a gold hardware. Yeah. That would be probably the next thing to do. So anyway, that's my third doppelganger. And... I yeah, this it. was good. I'm glad you called that one out. I kind of figured you would. Yeah, yeah. No, I, to your point, I think uh, by the time I first became really, like, started to, like, notice watches, I, I wanted to tag her Monaco. That, to me, was like a girl watch. You know, this is probably, let's call it, like, late 90s. I still love those watches. That, to me, I'm really happy, kind of, uh, the fact that Tag Heuer does seem to be sort of finding its way you know the, the new glass box reference is great I like the Otavia watches that they did a few years ago yeah. I think those are pretty cool um, I think if they can find something like this that they can do in a reasonable size and 
you know, I don't know if, if stealing gold is coming back, but the Monaco's are unbelievably good. I have a, a one of my customers showed up to work the other day. I, you know, went to have a quick meeting with him, and he had one of the. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the reference is, but he, he had like a skeletonized Monaco, the, like a brand new one. It's such an impressive thing. They, one thing I'll say though is, usually square watches with basically no lugs, they wear smaller. These definitely have real wrist presence, but they're so good, dude. They are all so good. I love them. Yeah, phenomenal. Very cool stuff. Well, yep. this, is, this is a fun episode. This is a thing that made us think it made us uh, sort of revisit the path, past a little bit and, and also gave us some creative freedom to you know blow things out of the water a little bit if we, if we chose to That's yeah fun. totally well dude I, I will uh, get a second mortgage on my house and buy that you know that Louis Vuitton carpe diem <laughs> actually I'll need a second mortgage on my house and your house <laughs> but you know what the hell carpe you seize the day you only you only live once man. that's right man well, yep, yep. We're, we're definitely living our best life here at ogopogo great beers we, you just poured us uh the pale ale and a mango wheat is that right i got the mango wheat right yeah yeah so you got the um the nix n-i-x which is the pale ale and i got oh come on the harmonia so it's kind of their version of what I think people around the country would know as mango cart. Yep. Basically a, a, a mango um, wheat ale. Just, yeah, really, really good. I hesitate to say that it's better than mango cart. It's, it's better than mango cart. Yeah, though. that's yeah. fine. I think it's totally fine. Yeah, love we it. We sold out anyway. Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't blame them. Oh, no. I, well, you know the story with that. that. That whole thing, my impression was, like, kind of as an outsider looking in, that that entire thing was a project, basically. To get, to get acquired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the, the gal that started it was an HBS alum, you know, skater chick with, with a few bucks here in L.A. And uh, I think that was literally, yeah, to build the thing up, scale it, and sell it. And Mission accomplished. Good, yeah, good honor. It's it's good beer. It's fun. It it's a good, good place beer. to go drink. Actually, it, the place is really fun too. It really is. I have, I have no qualms. I love. I I, I I like their beer. I like the place. So. Do you ever have the uh, the avocado tacos that they do there? No. Oh, they're really good. They're bomb. Yeah, they're really good. If and very kid friendly. If you are Super in kid friendly, lawn games and all kinds of yep. stuff out. If you're in SoCal and this is Golden not, Road. If you've clear. not been to the Golden Road location in Glendale, Glendale. California, it's right by the zoo. Uh, you owe it to yourself to go there. It's it's a good time. It's fun. Yeah, it really is. Man, last time I was there, I had a cra- I had I was going off their crazy weird list, and I had some kind of man. I need to look this up now. But some kind of crazy tiki rum aged barrel, something or other. Man, it was had to have been 10, 12, 13 percent, and it was it was funky. It was it was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, speaking of tiki rum, let's close with this. We need to promise ourselves that sometime in the next few weeks. You and me are going to have to go meet podcast alum and current, you know, host of his own podcast, the 219 Pod, David Driscoll. Uh, we have to go to Damon's in Glendale, famous tiki bar steakhouse, been around for ages. I've been promising myself that we would go, so I think we need to go. That might be the next one on That's site. It. That's it. Well, dude, I think we skipped the Rex on this one because yeah. we are live. We've been interrupted a few times, and it, it kind of is what it is when you're when you're on location. And there's people coming up and asking questions and stuff like that. I think we got a new listener today. I think we, yeah, we did. We, t- we totally, you know, paused and met somebody. He's like, "Hey, are you guys like watch people? What's, he what are you just doing?" Grabbed a new Seiko, grabbed a Norian, grabbed a yeah, couple other things too. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. super cool. Shout out to you. Yep, Jesse, if you're listening, it's good to meet you. Um, Let's just have that be it, man. How about this is our uh, our last sip? Cheers to you, bud. That was super loud. All right. Peace. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.